Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We had some great music, didn't we? Thank you, Pris and Robin. Uh, I saw online somebody had put, Does, is there anything Steve Thompson can't do? So, so that was... Is there anything you can't do? A few things. Okay, okay. We haven't found them yet, but apparently there's a few things that, that he can't do. So I uh, really appreciate uh, everyone with some uh, great music this morning. I wanted to remind you, you probably saw it when you came in. If you're online, we are collecting for uh, the baby bottles for Crossroads Pregnancy Center. So you can either do that online or stop by church and pick one up. If you want to do it online, the information is on our website. If you're in person or come by, just grab one uh, as you go through there. And then one other uh, quick update for you. Uh, Amy Fisher is watching online right now. Everybody say hi to Amy in Peru. Hi, Amy. And uh, she has uh, arrived back in Peru. She has a mandatory two-week quarantine uh, before she can uh, get out and begin her ministry. But not only that, Peru has just started uh, a, a complete lockdown uh, due to COVID. And so you can only leave the house for one hour a day for essentials only. And uh, so she's not missing anything by being quarantined. Uh, uh, I guess it's there. But uh, certainly prayers for Amy and glad that she has made it back to Peru to continue her ministry there. We've been going through a series of sermons called Dreamcatcher, where we're looking at the life of Abraham. And uh, so take your Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be in Genesis 16 and 17. If you want to turn over to that, and we're going to continue that look at Abraham. I remember uh, when I was a little kid growing up, uh, we had a room, our living room, that no one was ever allowed to enter. Uh, you weren't allowed to sit on the couch or any of the chairs. Uh, it was one of those uh, 70s houses, so it was a sunken living room. Anybody remember, like, sunken rooms? It was a sunken living room, and no one was ever allowed to go in that room for any reason. As a matter of fact, when Dawn and I got married, my mom and dad were moving out. They gave us that living room furniture, and I remember the first time my mom and dad came over to see our house, and I told dad, you can actually sit on the couch here. You know, uh, it, it was a big deal, you know. Well, one day I was in that room and I wasn't supposed to be. I was running around playing. I was just a little kid. And as I, I was running around and, and, and uh, probably a little too hyper and all of that, I hit a lamp and I broke the lamp. Now, what do you do if you're a kid and you're in the forbidden room and you hit a lamp and you break it? You hide. That's exactly what you do. You get out of there as quick as you can. So I got out of there. So my dad called me and my two sisters together and he said, okay, who broke the lamp? And uh, so me, immediately wanting to fess up, said absolutely nothing, but just gave little stares at my sisters like, I wonder which of the two of you did this. You know. And so my dad said, well, it had to be one of the three of you because your mom and I were back in our bedroom and the lamp was broken. It didn't break itself. One of you all broke the lamp. And I want, want you to tell the truth and, and fess up. Well, of course, I didn't say anything, uh, being a good Christian boy and everything. And so uh, my dad said, well, I just want to say, whoever did it, I'm really disappointed in you for not telling the truth. 
And then everybody disperses to their own areas of the house. And I remember that suddenly the guilt began to grip me. And I began to feel really bad. Man, I've disappointed my dad. I was in the room I wasn't supposed to be in. I broke the lamp. And so finally I went back to mom and dad's room. And I go in and I start to cry. And I said, I broke the lamp. It was me. I broke the lamp. And my dad looked at me and says, I know you broke the lamp. I saw you when you were running through there and broke it. I just wanted to see if you were going to tell the truth or not. Well, it became a much different situation than I thought it was going to be. What we're going to be looking at this morning in Genesis chapter 16 and 17 is what do you do when you've messed up the dream? Abraham was given a dream by God. It was a great dream. But what happens when you mess the dream up? Because Abraham would mess the dream up over and over again. And I've got some encouraging news for you today. God has a dream for your life. You're going to mess it up over and over again. Bank on it. Count on it. Depend on it 100%. You will mess up, and you will mess up the dream that God has for your life. So what do we do when we mess that dream up. Well, look over to Genesis chapter 16, and the first thing we see is this. There are times we mess the dream up, and then you have to pay the consequences. There's time we mess the dream up, and we have to pay the consequences. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And when it starts, we just finished what we looked at last week in chapter 15. There was that great covenant that God made with Abram, where he brought him together, and he said, Hey, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, You're going to inherit this land. Everybody's going to be blessed through you. God made this great covenant with Abraham. The very next chapter, Abram and his wife Sarai are already doubting God's promise, and they're already thinking it's not going to be fulfilled. Now, that didn't take very long, did it? Uh, God continually had to try to get Abram and Sarai on board with what he was doing. And the problem we're going to see immediately in verses 1 and 2. Look down at chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. So for Sarai, she's thinking, Look, this thing God's told us to do, that Abram's going to become a great and mighty nation, and his descendants are are going to uh, bless the entire world. She goes, It's just not happening. I I can't have children. Abram is getting too old to have children. And if it's ever going to be fulfilled, it has to be right now. So therefore, we've got to take matters into our own hands. Obviously, God isn't doing it. Or maybe the way God wants us to do it is for us to take charge. And so we've got to do something dramatic. And so she goes to Abram and says, hey, sleep with my servant girl, Hagar. She's young, she's pretty, and maybe she'll bear you a son. Now, this is wrought with unbelievable problems from beginning to end. It's obviously not what God would have intended. So when, hey, when uh, Sarai goes to Abram and says, Hey, uh, why don't you sleep with my servant girl, and any children she has will be the children of the promise. So Abram says, Okay, yeah, sound, sounds good to me. I think that's what I will do. And from the beginning there on, they begin to mess the dream up. And they messed the dream up because they were impatient. They didn't see God doing anything. And they messed the dream up because they felt like, well, maybe God just needs a little help here, and we need to help him along. But what they've done now is they've totally messed 
the dream up. And you're going to mess the dream up God has for your life as well. And you're going to mess it up over and over again. And you're going to mess it up for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes like Abram and Sarai, you're going to mess up the dream because you're just impatient. You're tired of waiting on God to do something. And so you're going to take matters into your own hands. And in doing so, you're going to mess the dream up. Sometimes you're going to mess the dream up because you just doubt God. You doubt his power. You doubt his interest. Sometimes you question if this is really what God wants for you in the first place and you doubt God's direction or the dream itself. Sometimes you mess the dream up through sin that you're going to commit. Your sins are going to take you on the wrong path. They'll cause you to be selfish. It'll distract you. It'll cause you to become too busy. It will give you the wrong priorities. But we'll mess the dream up over and over and over again. The church I grew up in, I believe, is a church that kind of messed up the dream that God had for them. We were out in, in Oldham County, the, the church I grew up in, and Oldham County had just started to really grow when, when we were out there. And as a matter of fact, the two larger churches in the area we were were Crestwood Baptist and DeHaven Baptist. They both ran around 250 people. Over the, over the next five years, Crestwood and DeHaven would go from 250 to 500 to 750, even to 1,000 people over the next decade or so. But the church I grew up in was also growing. We went from 50 to 100 to 150. But in that period that the county really exploded, and Crestwood and DeHaven went from 250 to almost 1,000, the church I grew up in went from 150 to 50. Because what they did is they began to fight about everything. They fired three pastors in about six years. They, they begin to argue about, is the Lord's Supper for everybody to take or just members to take? Uh, does everybody that comes in, even from other Southern Baptist churches, need to be baptized or just people making a profession of faith? And they begin to argue about any and everything you could argue about. And as the county exploded and other churches grew larger and larger and larger, that church went from 150 to 50. They had messed the dream up that God had. And here's the thing. When you mess the dream up that God has for you, when you sin and mess it up, there will always be consequences. Let's see what the consequences are for Abram and Sarai. Look down to verse 3. It says, So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took his wife, her Egyptian slave Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows that she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your own hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and she fled from her. So from the very beginning, this messing the dream up, taking things in their own hands, trying to do what God said he would do, it begins to show consequences. The first consequence is that Hagar immediately becomes pregnant. And when she becomes pregnant, she looks at Sarai and she thinks, I must be better than you. You know, uh, uh, God must be cursing you and blessing me. And so immediately a rift develops there between Sarai and Hagar. But not only is there a rift between Sarai and Hagar, there becomes a rift between Abram and Sarai. And so Sarai goes to Abram and she says, this is all your fault. You know, why didn't you get me pregnant like you got her pregnant? It's your fault. And Abram says, hey, look, it's not my fault. Do whatever you want. And then she begins to mistreat Hagar until she flees. 
Now, eventually, Hagar is going to have a child by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael is going to be a constant threat to the real dream and the real promise. And for the rest of Abram's life, this messing up of the dream is going to have consequences for him, for Isaac, for his, his relationship with his wife, for Hagar. It's going to mess everything up and be a constant thorn that they have to continually deal with. You see, when you mess the dream up, there will be consequences. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God doesn't forgive you. But there are consequences to our actions. What are some of the consequences to messing the dream up that we have? Sometimes we'll miss opportunities God has for us. That God wanted to bless us. God wanted to bring things into our life. And we'll just miss those opportunities. I think the church that I grew up in missed some of the opportunities God had for them because we messed the dream up. Sometimes God had planned to do things and he'll put, give those things to somebody else because we've messed the dream up. Sometimes we'll get new dreams and our new dreams will compete against God's dream. That's exactly what happens with Ishmael and Isaac. Their dreams begin to be competitors to one another. And sometimes the consequences are we're going to sever relationships, harm relationships. Sometimes you'll mess the dream up and you'll never be in the right relationship with another person again because of what you did to mess the dream up. Sometimes messing the dream up will hurt you physically. Uh, things that you do will, will destroy your body, uh, will hurt other people around you. But there are consequences to messing the dream up. Ali Demer uh, is a soccer fan in Turkey, and he loves his local soccer team. He, he's just eaten up with it. Every day he wears stuff with his local soccer team on it. If you go to his house or his business, there's nothing but pictures of his local soccer team. He goes to every game and has season tickets. But he's so eaten up with it that he can't control himself. And so every game he's always yelling at the other fans. Uh, eventually he gets into fights with other fans until finally the team barred him from even coming to their games. What he loved the most and what he enjoyed the most and what he was just eaten up with, he was barred from even going to the games. But Ali couldn't take that. He had to see his team play. And one game they weren't on television, so he rented this crane and he goes to the top of the crane so that he can see the game from outside the stadium. And I got a picture of him right there in the crane watching the game. But this is what happened. The police then come by, order him down from the crane, arrest him, and the judge gives him a huge fine. So here's a guy that wanted nothing more to do but to love his soccer team and to watch his soccer team, but because he continually messed it up, He's now barred from going to the games. He had to spend a weekend in jail, and he has a huge fine. All because he messed it up. We mess our dreams up, and there are always consequences when we do that. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture passage. Even after you've messed the dream up, God doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on the dream, and he doesn't give up on his work. We might mess the dream up, but God doesn't give up on us, the dream, or his work. Look over to chapter 17. Chapter 17. We see three things that happened in chapter 17 after Abram had messed the dream up. And the first thing is this. When we've messed the dream up, we need to admit we've messed it up and repent. When you've messed it up, you need to admit we've met, you've messed it up and you need to repent. Look at chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your number. So it's interesting that when chapter 17 starts in verses 1 and 2, God repeats the covenant that he'd established with him in chapter 15 that we looked at last week. And the covenant was really very simple. The covenant was this. Abram, you do your part. Your part is to walk faithfully with me, and I'll do my part, and my part is to make the dream come true and to do all the miracles and to give you descendants and a promised land and to bless the world through you. Your job is to be faithful. So he's now messed the dream up. Instead of being faithful, he'd gotten into God's business. He tried to forced the dream and in doing so he messed everything up and just made a competitor to the dream in Ishmael and ruined relationships with his wife and with Hagar but look at what God says to him in verse 1 he says walk before me faithfully and be blameless so what he's saying is get back to what you were supposed to be doing your job isn't to fulfill the dream Abram your job is to be faithful and walk with me. And then, verse 2, I'll fulfill the dream. And so God's just calling him back. You need to repent. You need to get back to what you were doing in the first place and get out of my business and what I'm doing. When you've messed the dream up, the first thing that we need to do is that we need to come back to God, ask for forgiveness, and repent. Because when you mess the dream up, your life is filled with all that trash that comes along with messing it up, and you need to be recentered with God again. Last weekend uh, at uh, uh, Johnson State Historic Park in Tennessee, on the Tennessee River, two dozen volunteers went out, and they collected 10 tons of trash out of the Tennessee River, the park. Here they are right there, 10 tons of trash that were in the river think of of all that pollution all of that that was there well we are filled with the trash that comes with messing the dream up and we're never going to get it right till we go to God and ask for repentance but not only ask for repentance repent and get back to what God wants us to do I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about it's going to freak our camera people out here so let's say God gave you a dream and here's your dream here and the dream is you're going to go from this end of the stage to that end of the stage, okay? And you begin to walk. You're doing good. You're following God's dream. But then you mess up. You do your own way. You get impatient with God. You sin. You get off base. And instead of going the way you're supposed to, you start wandering around and being places that you shouldn't. So you finally stop and you say, look, I'm not where I was supposed to be. I've messed up. You ask God to forgive you. So God forgives you. What's the problem? Where am I right now? I'm still far away from where the dream is. I've messed up. I've gone a wrong direction. And I've asked God to forgive me. And he's forgiven me. Repentance is essential. And repentance is getting back to what God wanted you to do in the first place. Forgiveness is God forgiving you from going the wrong direction. Repentance is when you go back to what God wanted you to do in the first place. So now I'm forgiven. Then I repent and get back to where God wants me to be, and then God starts you back where you need to be. And so that's why it's always so important that we come to God and we seek repentance and we come to him. Let God do his part, we'll do 
our part. Now, here's the good news. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how many times you've done it and how many times you've failed over and over again. What I know is this. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And no matter what you've done or how many times you've done it, God will forgive you when you come to him and ask to be forgiven. And then our job is to repent and get on that path again. Exactly what he said to Abram in verse 1. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you refuse to ask God for forgiveness and admit you've messed up, God can't do anything with you. You're just lying to yourself. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sins, and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first part of getting back when we've messed the dream up is forgiveness and repentance. So what happens when we do that? We ask God to forgive us, we repent, get back to where we were supposed to be, then God will restore and encourage you. God will restore and encourage you. Now that's seen in our scripture passage in a couple of different ways. The main way that it's seen is that God changes Abram and Sarai's name as a, as a symbol of his restoration and encouragement to them to get back to where the dream is. Look down to verse 3, chapter 17. Abram fell face down and, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations come from you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and every generation to come to be your God, the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you now resign as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, I will be their God. So the first thing he does is he changes Abram's name. He changes it from Abram to Abraham. Now, Abram means exalted father. It's kind of like Big Daddy or something like that, you know. I'm Big Daddy, you know, or something like that, you know. Uh, so that's not a bad name, Abram. But he changes his name from Big Daddy or, or, or Exalted Father to Father of the Multitudes. Now, that's a much different name. I'm not just Big Daddy. I am now the Father of great multitudes of people. And so he goes from Abram to Abraham. And so from that day on, the name change was very significant because people would now call him Abraham. And every time somebody called his name, they would say God's covenant. You're the father of great multitudes. And God said, because I'm going to make your descendants like the seashore and they're going to take the land of Canaan and the whole world is going to be blessed through them. So that name change becomes very significant. Then in verse 15, God also said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So here is Sarai. She's She's barren, she can't have children, she's getting too old to have children, and so they've, they've forced this issue with Hagar and Ishmael has been born, and yet God says, look, the, 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 uh, the, 
the child that's going to be my child is going to come from Sarai. She's going to have a child. She's no longer Sarai. She's going to be Sarah. Now, the, the name change in Hebrew is really fairly insignificant. Both Sarai and Sarah mean princess. Uh, but uh, some scholars believe that there is a little slight variation. And they think that Sarai is more the name princess that you might use for uh, your young daughter or something. You know, there's my little princess or something like that. You know, when, when your little daughter comes into the room and you use the term princess. But Sarah is the name you use for royalty. This is Princess Di. This is Princess Kate. And so it's saying you have gone from the little girl princess to being royalty and the mother of many nations. And so these name changes become very significant in God's eyes. But the significance is this. God sees in us what we don't see in ourselves. Abraham saw himself as someone who couldn't deliver on the promise. He was trying to force it, trying to do it his way, trying to, to, to get God to work. And he, did, he just thought he was a loser, and yet God looked at him and saw the father of multitudes. Sarai looked at herself and saw a, an old woman who was barren, who could never fulfill the promise. And God looked at her and saw her as royalty and the mother of many nations. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. I don't care what your parents have said about you. I don't care what your friends have said about you, your coaches, your teachers, your boss. I don't care what you think about yourself. All I know is what God sees when he looks at you. And when God looks at you, he sees so much more than you ever see in yourself. For Abram, he saw the father of multitudes. For Sarai, he saw royalty. God sees more in you than you will ever see in yourself. When you mess the dream up, God forgives, restores, and continues the dream. So we asked forgiveness, we repented, and then God's job is to say, now let's start going the way we were supposed to go. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture, and that's this. We need to believe and to continue to move forward. That's our job. Our job is to not to know God's big plan, our job isn't to try to do everything ourselves. Our job is to say, okay, I'm back here where God wanted me. Now I'm going to move forward wherever God takes me, wherever God's going to do. I'm just going to trust God, believe he's got it in plan, and I'm going to follow God. And when we do that, God begins to do great things through us. Now it's interesting in our scripture passage that as Abram repents and begins to move forward that God gives him a symbol of the covenant he's already given him a name change now he gives them a physical symbol of the covenant and let's see what it is in chapter 17 verse 9 then God said to Abram as for you you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep every male among you will be circumcised you undergo circumcision it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you for every generation to come every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner those who are not your own offspring whether born in your household or bought with money they must be circumcised my covenant is in your flesh it is an everlasting covenant. 
So God makes this covenant of circumcision as a way of saying, look, this is a, a physical reminder of the covenant that I have with you. Now today, circumcision is more of a, a, a medical procedure than it is something that, that we do to accept the covenant. So is, is there any parallel at all to anything that we do today? Well, the New Testament makes sort of a parallel. It's not ideal, but it makes a parallel between baptism and circumcision. So basically, in your baptism, you are accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're, you're, you're uh, letting people know that you have done that. You are accepting the covenant and becoming, saying, I am accepting this and following God's child. And so that becomes why baptism is so important. Because baptism is you accepting the covenant that God has given for you. And uh, so uh, that becomes uh, kind of a parallel there between the two. Uh, so let's keep on uh, reading in our, in our scripture passage and see what Abraham does uh, down to verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and he circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, were, uncircum were circumcised with him. The interesting thing is verse 23, the first four words, on that very day. So what does Abraham do? He no longer tries to fulfill the promise himself. He's going to let God fulfill the promise. He's just going to be faithful. And all he knew was God said, be circumcised. And so on that very day, he accepts circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And on that very day, he and his son Ishmael and everyone else that lives with him are circumcised on that day. He begins that walk with God. There will be times that you will mess the dream up. And when you mess the dream up, there will be consequences to you messing the dream up. And sometimes those consequences to messing the dream up will last the rest of your life. Abraham messing the dream up with Ishmael would be a burden to him the rest of his entire life. It didn't mean God didn't love him. It didn't mean God didn't forgive him. And it didn't mean God didn't continue to use him. When you've messed the dream up, ask God to forgive you, repent, believe, and then God will take you where you are and he'll continue to move you forward. Alex Smith is the quarterback for the Washington football team. And in 2018, Alex Smith had a horrific injury on his leg where he, he broke his, his leg. Uh, over the next year, Alex Smith would have 17 surgeries on his leg, 17. It would get a bacterial infection, and the doctors would come to him and say, we've done every surgery, we've done everything we can, we have to amputate your leg. He wasn't thinking about playing football, he was just worried about saving his leg at this point. And so he told the doctors, I want to try whatever you can before you do the amputation. They ended up, they didn't have to amputate. Two years later, in 2020, with half of the season gone, Alex Smith was able to come back to the Washington football team. And not only was he able to come back, he started the last five games of the season. 
The team that wasn't very good won four of their last five games and made the playoffs. And when they made the NFL playoffs, Alex Smith came home. It was, a, it was a, an away game. He got home, and when he walked into the house, his wife had taken the brace he had worn on his leg and made it into a trophy. And here's a picture uh, of it there. You see him wearing it uh, on his leg in the one picture. You see the trophy she'd made with the other leg, with the other picture. And what she said to him was this. Every time you walk into the house, I want you to be reminded of how far you have come. And I think that's what God would say to us. You're going to mess the dream up. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to take detours like we talked about later and get to places you don't want to be. But God wants you to say, look, look how far I've come. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Get back on the road again. And God says, yes, you took a detour here, but you started back there. Look how far you've come. Just get back and I'll continue to the dream on. Because even though you may have messed it up, I'm not through with you, I'm not through with the dream, and I'm not through with my work. And that should encourage us every time we mess up. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. I just pray, Lord, that each of us would look at our lives and when we've messed up, come to you and ask for that forgiveness and that restoration that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.